Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Erin Pym, and what I like to do here on the podcast is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to have in-depth conversations about sex and sexuality. And, of course, it is COVID time, so I don't have people right here in the room with me, but uh, due to the power of technology, I can still interview people, and actually this has been a really cool opportunity because now I can interview people that are, like, super far away from me geographically. So today is certainly one of those days. I have a professional dominatrix here from LA. So please welcome to the podcast, Domina Mara. Hi, Mara. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me, Lady Pim. It is my absolute pleasure. Yes, we're Dominas, so we're all honorifics (laughs) over here. (laughs) You can call me Pim. You can call me Erin. So I'm easy like that. I'm a low protocol dom, quite honestly. <laughs> or, or we other doms get like a gold star and a pass for a first name calling. <laughs> Definitely, exactly. No, it's so super funny. When I chose Lady Pym uh, for my like name for my dominatrix persona, I wasn't necessarily thinking like that my peers would just call me Pym, which is funny because Pym is my actual last name, Aaron Pym. So I was called Pym or Pimmer growing up or Little Pimmer in association with my older brother growing up. So it's so funny that I chose the name and I'm just, I'm still just called Pym by everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Except submissives, of course. Of course. It's very easy to remember. And it has a sort of like sharpness to it too. When you say Pym, it's like, Feels good in the mouth. But it's, yeah, it's proper and it still, like, gives the effect that you would like as a a dom. Thank you. How about Mara? How did you uh, happen upon choosing that? Um, I'm actually going to do a YouTube video on this because I feel like there are a lot of questions about it. And I've also come into contact with people who are from Romania about the name. But um, the origin is actually from a Buddhist legend. And uh, she was female, and she was the only demon that the Buddha had let in while he was on his path to Nirvana. Very um, and cool. so they kind of came into like a, yeah, they came into a little bit of a, a stalemate, if you will. Like she couldn't seduce him, and he didn't reject her. So it was like a nice kind of understanding of both sides. Very cool. I like that story a lot. Do you have, do you feel like that influences like your Dom persona or like your style or anything like that? Like the origins of the name? Definitely. I feel like a lot of people have portrayed through media, of course, with the help of uh, Fifty Shades and everything, um, dominatrix work to be very harsh and scary. And I have a lot of sensuality and nurturing on my side. And so that kind of both combined creates the type of domino that I choose and naturally have become. 
Yeah. I'm finding that like more and more doms that I talk to and get to know, um, like in scenes and out of scenes kind of represent that more, you know, either girl next door dom, which I personally think is kind of the trend right now. It's kind of popular right now. Um, or as you're saying, like, you know, a balance of like sweet and sadistic or like, you know, nurturing, caring, um, are you finding that or do you find people more are still sticking to that stereotype of like the super harsh dom? I think there's always been an element of the nurturing side, but I feel like it's been, it hasn't been uh, introduced to the world a lot. It's probably yeah. more likely in lifestyle. And then obviously when a sub needs the aftercare, maybe the mommy side comes out. I feel like people tend to separate the two like oh she's just sadistic or she's just sensual but i feel like as more and more doms emerge and they market themselves to have both qualities it's now become more accepted and more apparent because we're human we're multi-layered and so i feel like a lot of people resonate with both sides um obviously it comes into play in different ways with scenes and with styles but i feel like um it's definitely like you mentioned, more accepted and then has bled into the girl next door type. Yeah. Do you find that you're like speaking about that? Do you feel like your Dom persona is really related to your personality, like outside of scenes every day, every day, Mara? <laughs> I'm actually the same person. Yeah, I Dom me too. the way that I am. Me too. hundred <laughs> percent. And actually in my YouTube channel, I have, um, I, I go over this a lot because people are just like, oh, you're so down to earth. Like, I didn't know that a, a dominatrix could be like that. And I was like, I'm a person. <laughs> yeah. I don't put up any airs of how I am. Like the power that I assert in, you know, play is what I have in me the whole time. It's just, I am not, you know, releasing that on you. We're not in that play mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I feel like... I feel like similar, like I'm kind of a chameleon in regular life and also as a dom, like mm. I'm, I'm for sure generalist. Um, so, you know, I enjoy like a, a, doing a lot of different kinks and I've got like a lot of different kind of general skills, um, role mm. play being one of them. So I can be a chameleon, like I can give you sadistic if you require sadistic. I can give you, you know, a bunch of other notes. But I think mm. I am all still, you know, just picking and choosing and drawing from different facets of my own personality, if you know what I mean. Sure, yeah, that's totally fair, I feel like. And it also depends on, on the mood of the day. Some days I feel extremely generous and then other days I feel extremely sadistic. And <laughs> just in life. <laughs> because there's a lot of people out there who are um you know who need a little bit of help in life and you kind of got to give them a push not yeah. physically but you know either emotionally or verbally <laughs> yeah some people just so. need a talking to <laughs> they just do or or the direction you know you kind of just imply it and then they kind of have to come up with it themselves and it seems like their idea but you just planted that little seed totally you're just like yeah directing the little the little chiclet you know <laughs> to their own realizations that's actually a very um good 
I guess, metaphor, too, because, you know, chicks are kind of all over the place. They run and scurry, and, you know, they, it takes the mom, mother hen, to kind of, you know, push them along. It's this way. <laughs> do you find, I'm so. curious about this, because I do find this for myself. Do you find you playing that kind of a role, like, with your friends in your regular life, that you're kind of the one that people, like, come to when they need a shoulder or an ear um, or any other body part for that matter. No, like, but when so, when they need support or when they need to <laughs> get kind of that direction? <laughs> I, I think I could divide my life into two parts. One is like kink and the other one is spiritual. And that's kind of why I also chose the name Mara because it's based on a spiritual legend, but it's also, it also has ties to like life lessons and you know, everyday people, like they actually, um, everybody perceived Mara as a demon or a monster, but in the way that the legend has portrayed her, she's actually very human. Okay. And so I feel like with my friends, I've become this kind of, a lot of them are so spiritual that they get caught up in, in the cloud of it and they need the grounding. And so I'm kind of the person who can articulate and how to relate the spiritual side back into reality and back into, uh, you know, everyday life using examples or even stuff in kink because they do know what I do. Yeah. And I'm kind of almost like a shaman towards them. I'm like their guide. And I know that's a high title to hold, but that's kind of exactly how I feel like as my, my purpose, if you will, as their friend. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, do you have... Like, you have a spiritual history, like, just in life? Or did you grow up spiritual or religious? I did grow up religious. I am. I was baptized Catholic. Mm, um, me too. I'm Catholic. <laughs> Cast those demons I'm, out. <laughs> I was going to say, and look at us now in case. Little do they know, it was still inside. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's they started us early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um. But I am non-practicing. My mother is still religious. Um, however, due to just me growing up and kind of becoming my own person, I found that there's obviously, I believe in a greater force out there in the world. And I feel like that ebb and flow kind of helps us understand it a little bit more as well as ourselves. And so I use that in my work. I use that in my relationships building it with people and I use that uh, to navigate my day-to-day -day. and um, it's become more powerful now more than ever because I've just gone with that flow a lot of people are very hesitant to do that because it's change and they don't like change they're very comfortable in their ways they've found a routine that works and it's not to say that I don't have a routine I'm very grounded and I feel like that's just kind of an extra tool if you will, in, in life that I've uh, kind of, you know, taken from here and there when I needed it. For sure. And are you able to tell people like how that specifically re relates to you being in doing a scene in a dungeon or in a play space with a sub or a client, like how you may, you might draw on those qualities in a session? For sure. I think one of them is being that rock that the, the submissive can always go back to because they might be nervous entering the room and 
they might be nervous exploring their submissive side if they haven't found it yet. They might be nervous trying new fetishes that they've just seen, but they're giving me the responsibility of their mind, body, and soul. And it's up to me to make them feel as, you know, the most comfortable in doing that. Not, I'm not saying the most comfortable in like, you know, their shackles or anything. I'm, I'm talking about the comfort <laughs> in the responsibility and gifting that, um, you know, and that they're in good hands, safe hands. And I find that once they, they have that locked away and, and in their mind, they're just like, okay, I, I am in, in safe hands. They are able to then give all of themselves to me. Um, and that's the beauty of it. I, I find that over the years I've opened up countless people, you know, not just to kink, but just to me as a person. Mm-hmm. to me as their key holder to me as their their mistress and it's it's a wonderful thing yeah i agree that um and i mean i mean i would hope that most practicing doms would agree that like the number one thing is to get the client feeling um safe to be able to go there with you like to be able to be vulnerable the be to be able to be emotional to um just to show off a side that might be outside of their box or something that they don't get to express regularly like just that that trust establishing that trust that's like number one thing that you need to do before starting the actual scene right absolutely yeah 100 percent I find that like most doms that I know, like local here in Toronto, are like lovely, warm, welcoming people. So like when you welcome a client into the space, you're like, hello, how are you? My God, nice to see you. Come on in. Can I get you something? Like, sit down, let's chat. Like, which is the total opposite, I think, of what people perceive of dominatrices. Yeah, and sometimes I'm not... I, th- I feel like sometimes it also depends on the person because if they are seeking protocol, then, um, you know, I will have them bring a bottle of water for me that's, you know, fresh from the fridge somewhere and, uh, you know, they can't look at me until I address it and blah, blah, blah. But it, there's still that warm, the warmth yeah. that is accepting of who they are, what they're there for. And, you know, we go from there. I feel like a lot of new doms that I've seen recently kind of are seeing the play aspect as the first layer and maybe that's kind of how I've seen it too when I was first starting out but they don't some of them don't see this as a journey Mm. right it's your journey it's the submissive's journey and then it's your journey both together Mm -hmm. so yeah because you've been doing this how long now uh it'll be seven years in august Wow. Professionally, seven years? Yes, professionally. Um, I started out professionally and then kind of adopted the lifestyle aspect of it as I went. Yes. Oh, very interesting. So pre your, your dominatrix career, you didn't really do kink or what do, what do you mean by that? Um, no, I didn't. It always popped like kink popped into my life a lot of times while I was coming of age, like when I was going to school and 
like the birthday gifts that people would give me <laughs> and I never really saw it. I was like, well, I'm never going to use these like leather handcuffs. What are, you know, why are you giving these to me? And, you know, maybe it was little did I know later <laughs> on that, you know, they saw something that they, I didn't. They yet. knew, they knew though. Yeah. You didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. It just, I felt ready, um, when I actually got my first corporate job because, that's when I was being manipulated and I was like, how is this person doing it? And I was more fascinated than anything else. So King popped into my head then and I was like, okay, now is the time where I think I can, you know, uh, experience the psychological aspects of it because I've experienced something that I could relate to it. Yeah. Were you a person that thought you should begin by exploring the submissive side or did you go top first? Unfortunately, I started in a house, um, and their rule was if we didn't have any professional or lifestyle experience, we had to start from the bottom no matter what if we okay. wanted to work Okay. See, I've heard of that, but I don't think I've actually talked to somebody where that was actually what yeah. they had to do or what they did. It, so tell me. Okay. It's very old school. It yeah. is, and, right? Yeah, and I actually am really glad that I went through it because I know how everything feels. I've tried probably everything at least once besides um you know heavy blood play yeah and um or or scat or or any of that but in terms of you know the general not extreme play um I've tried everything and it it gives me an extra layer of knowledge that I find you know um when I read my submissive's bodies I rarely have to ask them you know, how they're doing because I can read their bodies now expertly and I know how it feels. Um, I don't know if I would have learned that as quickly if I didn't go through it myself. I don't think so. Um, and then on top of that, uh, I feel like I know the psychological buttons to press now too, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, I treat it as an experience. I don't consider myself I've never considered myself a submissive. Um, I've bottomed for people uh, who have tied me up in rope before, but that's, again, how I learned the quickest um, mm -hmm. how to tie. And so I think it's important to at least try it once because you always learn something new. Yeah. Um, I've always learned... It's a new perspective, things. right? Yeah, definitely. And and different, like I mentioned before, different days treat you differently. There was one time when I was heavily on my menstrual cycle and that affected me as well. So you so. have done heavy blood play. <laughs> <laughs> Lies. Right, right. <laughs> but, but heavy blood play on top of the kink aspect is like, that's crazy that I'm still alive right now, right? It's like... Yeah. But that also gives me the knowledge, I have female submissives as well, and that gives me the knowledge of being a little bit more sensitive during their cycle, watching that sit area, you know, that they're mm -hmm. on, on their mm -hmm. butt, you know, to be um, just aware because, you know, some males might do that, but we as women know what it's like, you know, to be on that cycle. Yeah. So... Yeah. Do you think that it is necessary? Would you go that far to say it's necessary for a dom to um, bottom for a kink before practicing it from a top space? No, I wouldn't call anything necessary in that regard, only because some people just really don't have that in them. 
but I would say that it's necessary for them to go to a class or go to um, another dom who is a little bit more experienced than them, whose style matches theirs, or even if the style doesn't match theirs, uh, to kind of just watch how they treat other submissives and really focus on the submissive. You know, if you're there to learn techniques, that's great. If you're there to learn a skill like with whipping, that's great. But also really observe that submissive because how they react, and again, it's going to be different throughout all submissives, but generally how they react to a certain lash or a certain uh, task, you know, will trigger something in you. And I feel like you can take that, you know, you're just putting more things into your tool belt as you, um, you know, go along your journey as a, as a dominant. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, even I feel like even if you do bottom for, you know, several kinks or one kink on several different days, um, that's still only your perspective of how you receive whatever type of stimulation, you know, the kink entails, right? So, um, yeah, it gives you more information as a dom to have bottomed for those things, but it's still, there's still so much more information out there that you're going to have to learn via topping other people, like just experience, put in those hours, you know? Right. Um, Like one person that came to me thought he was a submissive, I immediately found out he was a fetishist because he was just into the pain and spanking aspect of things. More, not even disciplinarian, because he wasn't into um, doing punishment because of something. He was just into the feeling. And he had the smoothest bottom, but (laughs) it was incredibly difficult to make him feel something. And I don't understand, like, How his body works. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, man, I'm going, like... You know, 80%. My hand is hurting. <laughs> my wrists are hurting. I had to switch from my hand to a paddle because I was like, I know you like barehanded spanking, my jeez. I just cannot. Yeah, so, you know, and that's just him. Other people are extremely sensitive and you can only use like a cupping, you know, technique on them. It's just, it's it's fascinating to me how, how everybody's uh, bodies are so different, but that's also the beauty of it. Definitely. And that's what's, um, for me, that's what's interesting about it is like learning somebody's body, like, like the first session, you know, you're kind of like feeling the person out and trying to figure out some things. I feel like the second session, then you're like, all right, like, let's go. (laughs) Because I feel like it kind of takes that long. Um, I feel like even longer. Yeah, totally. Because time keeps on going on. I've had clients for six years, and over six years, and even now their bodies have changed. Um, Some of them are getting, I mean, we're all getting older, but some of them have gotten to the point where maybe they need to take blood thinners, you know, and now I have to be a little bit more careful on, you know, bruising aspects or avoid areas entirely. Yeah, maybe they've had an injury over that time. Mm -hmm. Like our bodies change, you know, as Mm -hmm. we're we're older than you know falls happen and we fucking hurt ourselves and then we've got a sore shoulder for the rest of our lives or we can't lift our arm higher than however high um so dominant you also have to adjust because if you do hurt your shoulder you know you have to find another way to carry impact that you can control or that you can't you know that you can deliver in a way that is the same as before but isn't injuring you Totally. Yeah, because it's a repetitive 
motion Motion. thing. It's Mm -hmm. just like anyone, like carpal tunnel on computers or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like if you do something enough times, you're going to have strain in that area or wear or tear on that area, right? Exactly. Um, Speaking of that, do you have something specific that you do to maintain like your physical wellness? Yes. Um, Well, when we were outside of lockdown, I used to go to the gym probably four to six times a week and um on my on my best days which hasn't been for about like over a year probably um i would do something like yoga or stretching in the morning something for the mind and body but also just because you know we're sitting a lot of the time and i just need to bring circulation back into my legs and then that would be followed by an hour of dance i love to dance me too and Yay! (laughs) It's such a great form of expression, and it uses literally your entire body from brain to, like, your toes. Yeah. Um, And I love it. And uh, then in the evening, um, if I am feeling up for it, it, I would probably do Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, like, HIIT workouts, H-I-I-T, which are more intensive, more strength-building, core. Um, But again, haven't done that for a while, and since we're at home, I've been less... Uh, good about um, keeping up with maintaining it. yes yeah I'm trying wow. to do the like a few YouTube videos you know because you can't get to the gym or you can't maybe get to your space that you usually do so yeah I'm at home trying to do like YouTube workout videos for sure it's not the same though <laughs> but it's, it's like not that, I feel like if we're if we doms are going to submit to anything it's to our own mental capacity at <laughs> For maintaining our bodies during this time. Totally. <laughs> or, like, what I've actually done is gotten another dom to, like, mm. monitor my workout schedule. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, the only thing that will motivate that's me. That's great. See, that's, see, now we can actually explore the submissive side and really there you go, go ham on that. Yes. Totally. Like, I've got to submit, uh. like... I, I have a Fitbit, so I have to, you know, submit my weekly thing, right? Oh, so there's no fudging that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? In a way, this is for the better. Like, any any submission I find isn't... Like, people... That's another thing that's misconstrued is that it's... People think that it's just a source of degradation and humiliation, but actually, it can also be an improvement on your lives. hundred like, percent. You know, it, people don't see that side. Some people even do, um, on a regular data basis, before the pandemic happened, uh, what do you call it, exercise logs. Say a, mm-hmm. a submissive is overweight. They, they go to a fit dom and they see that they are killing it with their body, with their health, with their lifestyle, and they want to adapt that as well. And so they will submit a log of what they've eaten all the way down to what exercises they've done. There may be even sleep schedules because that helps a lot too if they drink the right amount of water that day. And that's incredibly helpful. You know, it's like your own personal coach, but then you get punished if you know, you don't do it. <laughs> so sexy times. Yeah. And <laughs> or not then, sexy times. Or, or, yeah, or just <laughs> whining, whining, whining subs. Um, yeah, I, I have friends who, like, in their dynamic, like, with their partner, um, one, you know, helps them say when they're experiencing depression um, and mm. make, sure, make sure they eat and make sure that they um, take a break and that they shower and... Um, different stuff like that 
Um, the person I'm specifically thinking of, it's a remote relationship. So there has to be certain, you know, there's not somebody right there in the room to be like, okay, we're doing this now. We're doing this now. Like you can do it. Da, da, da. it it's like a lot of, um, a lot of work that needs to be kind of done between the two. And that, and I'm not saying that works for everybody, but for this particular couple, they both respond really well, um, to having the dominant in the relationship kind of help them through tough times with their mental health as well. Definitely. And you know, the beauty of remote sessions is that you can make it extremely ritualistic like I yes. do in my in my data, my in-person sessions where you know perhaps you have them follow a set of things that they have to prepare before they you know get on um, cam with you or on the phone with you yeah give them homework or even text yeah and um, maybe you make that a, a thing that they have to do before every single time and for them to help with the combat that um, depression them focusing on that task and in order to please you because they want to that is already something that they know that they can achieve yeah. and um the the benefit the how do you call it, the reward of that is having the dom just verbally saying it you know and and emotionally uh making it a positive reinforcement for them yeah, definitely. I mean, like, it's actually funny. I, I think most of the specifically like the texting sessions that I do, they're actually more centered on this type of play or this type of a dynamic where mm -hmm. it's like me instructing them to do three different like self-care things that evening or what have mm -hmm. you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, so what are three things? Great. You had a very productive day. Ba ba ba, really nice to hear. But what are you gonna do for yourself tonight? Give me three things, mm. you know. I love that. Or before we talk next week, give me, um, you know, give me ten reasons. Here's your homework. Give me ten reasons why people choose to have you in their life, like stuff mm. like that, you know. Yeah. And, and again, I the positive reinforcement it, that makes them really think about it and and put it on paper and see it as a reality to themselves. Yeah. And I mean, if they're having, and then if they're having trouble doing it, it's like, okay, well, maybe that's time to examine why you can't think of, you know, reasons people love you. Um, so, I mean, I always, always tell people, like, I'm not your therapist. Like, I can mm -hmm. be one of the tools, you know, a dominatrix is like one of the lovely tools you can have in your kind of mental wellness, mental wellness tool belt um for sure like a professional who's actually trained um would be fantastic as well but like we can all kind of fit together and kind of as you said help somebody along their journey <laughs> and also i mean i don't know about you but like when i'm doing stuff like that i'm kind of talking to myself too you know what i mean like because i'm not a mental health professional but I have my own experience with mm -hmm. mental health, right? So sure. that's where I speak from. Mm -hmm. So often I'm telling, I'm talking to like myself if I was the sub, you know, what would I need to hear right now? What would help me and, right now? And it's coming from you. So it's your literal thought process that you're 
giving out to somebody in response to their situation, right? It's your version of problem solving, yeah. whatever it is that they, their problem is, and you're literally helping with critical thinking and what would be best for them, but in turn, is probably good for you too. Let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, Oasis Aqua Lounge is a water-themed sex club located right here in Toronto at 231 Mutual Street. Oasis is inclusive of all genders and orientations and is shame-free when it comes to pleasure and play. Check them out at their website, oasisaqualounge.com. Unicorn Collaborators is the local leather business of two queer unicorns. They specialize in luxurious and colorful harnesses for all body types, and even craft non-conventional ones for your thigh, fist, or foot. Check them out at their Etsy shop under Unicorn Collaborators. Lovecrafters Toys is a non-gendered fantasy sex toy line that makes weird and wonderful dildos in the shape of tentacles, unicorn horns, mermaid tails, and more. Their high-quality silicone is hand-poured right here in Toronto. Check out their Etsy shop at Lovecrafters Toys. ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. Another misconception I find is that sex workers only do it for the money. And that is like the only benefit that we could possibly get out of this. How do you feel about that? Oh, man. And even I'm surprised at how many lifestyle people who have been in kink for so many years also have that almost poor connotation of a professional dominatrix because they think it is for the money. It's like, no, I have honed my skills, put hours of, um, you know, classes into play, money from those sessions back into an investment for what I want to become. And it might just be that they haven't met the right professional dominatrix that they could see that. But when they meet me, I definitely change their mind about it because, you know, it's, the money is great. It is a life, like a life uh, decision to go full-time into this, but it's not easy. There are countless threads online of how many things we have to become in order to make this a business for ourselves, you know? And it's not fair for people to say that, you know, a a professional is um, any less than what a lifestyle person is, giving less because they're asking for money. I honestly almost think that, you know, from my experiences, I went to several play parties uh, at the beginning of the year for the first time in years. And I was surprised at how many people were very unaware of how many areas that they were hitting that are red zones that you mm. don't want to hit, you know? And I, I'm not going to stop their scene. I'm not going to tell them and say, you know, hey, you're doing it wrong. But the lack of knowledge was kind of like shocking to me it's scary 
Yeah, and, and I don't know if it's just had to do with that specific play party or not, but I've, I've seen it in a couple of play parties, two different ones at different times, hosted by different people, and there were over, I would say, over 200, 250 people attending. Oh and so for me to have stayed there for the amount of hours that I did, which was from, you know, like probably 10 to 4 a.m. in the morning, it was... I don't know what to I don't know what to do about it. I don't know if I should say something about it as a professional. I don't necessarily want people coming at me like, "Oh, well, you're just looking down on people who are lifestyle." You know, it's not about that. It's about safety. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't I don't know. Um, and as a professional, I also feel like because I've played with so many more people, I have the capacity to remember a lot of details about those people and know how to play with those details, uh, incorporate that into, you know, play. Whereas if you're playing with one person or just the group of people that you normally play with, that's great. But mm -hmm. also, I don't know if you have the creative, like you've released that creative boundary on your mind, you know? Totally. If you have a group of, you know, like four people that you routinely play with as a lifestyle dom, it's like, great. So you know how to play with those four people. Mm -hmm. um, and if that's all you want, that's also fantastic. And master sure. that. Right? Yeah. And I was but... just going to say, and that may not necessarily be true for all lifestyle doms. Um, mm -hmm. of, of course, don't want to make like a blanket statement, but sure, it's like sure, sure. the fact that we, that pros come in contact with new people just constantly, like revolving door of new people. And again, yeah, we, the ideas that we accumulate regular um, clients, regular subs as well, but it's like a totally different skill set. And I'm not saying it's better or worse than like a lifestyle mm -hmm. dom, but it's a totally different skill set of like, mm -hmm. you've got to basically have a small negotiation with this person and then be able to go baby. Like that mm -hmm. is not something everyone can do. And right. that comes from, as you're saying, years and years of experience of playing with all different types of people, all different mm -hmm. kinks, um, in different styles, in different play spaces. It's like the adaptability and the improvisation and the empathy um, mm -hmm. is like all super, super valuable skills that we have mm -hmm. or that we're working towards. 100%. Yeah. It's always a work in progress, too. That's kind of what I love about it is like you're never just finished. Oh, yeah. You know, with anybody, even yourself, like there's always room for improvement. You know, it, even if you've had a, a submissive for like 20 years, I'm not there yet, but I can see mm -hmm. the doms that have had those subs. And how do you think that those subs keep on returning? Yep. You know, I doubt that their play is going to stay the same for all those years. There is an evolution to it, you know, and um, I find that with professionals, that evolution happens in a much like sturdier way because they have created a groundwork for themselves uh, in order to um, kind of pave the path from like the origin would be the, the dom and then all those paths emerging to all the other subs, you know. Yeah. How do you feel about like the thought where it's like, okay, well, lifestyle doms are in a relationship with their subs. So pro doms, you know, have clients. So it's not going to be a similar experience because a pro is, you know, playing with someone that they're not, let's say, attracted to possibly, um, not like 
don't have love feelings for, don't have intimate feelings for. What do you have to say about like the difference between that and what a lifestyle dom might experience? Is that true? Is it not? How do you feel about it? I actually know quite a few doms, professional doms, who are in uh, relationships with submissives, but are able to, and that's the lifestyle part, and then they are able to still play as a professional with other um, submissives as their clients. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's almost like the kind of holy grail, right? Because you can eat your cake yeah. too yeah. with it. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think that uh, it's um, a hindrance because if that person, if that submissive really loves you and knew that this is the path that you chose for yourself, that's kind of what they have to honor. But I find that um, it's an interesting question because I find that there's more of a there's more of a difficulty when it comes to the submissive who is a client who wants to get into a relationship or sees your dynamic as that kind of relationship. That's kind of the tricky right. part. Yeah. Um, like it is a relationship in that I'm in a relationship with everyone. I come, I'm in relationship. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, There's so it is and it isn't. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I'm seeing you vulnerable and we're doing this intimate act, like an emotionally mm -hmm. intimate act potentially as well. But yeah, I'm wondering what you think about like the quote unquote relationships we have in every scene we do with clients versus like relationships that we might have with like folks we date, you know? Right. I, for me personally, I am the same person. <laughs> yeah. All across the board because I find it's more exhausting to become somebody else for a relationship, like actual dating, if I can't be myself. And then almost similarly, like, I don't want to have to put on a face before I get into a room with somebody uh, to dominate them. So it, what I've created for myself as a professional and lifestyle uh, dominatrix is that I've found who I am, I'm very comfortable with who I am, and then I'm able to share that with other people, regardless if they're my, you know, uh, lover or my paying client, yeah, submissive, sub fetishist, whatever they want to um, label themselves as. Yeah. Do you find difficulty in, um, I'm supposed, I suppose you've been doing it seven years, so you've probably sorted it out by now. So maybe at the beginning, did you have difficulty doing scenes with people that you hardly know? Did you have, come up against any like struggles there? Definitely. Um, there are people who write beautiful things, beautiful emails, messages online. And then when you get in the same room with them, become another person. And those people, I've definitely honed in on who those people are because I can either tell they're, you know, time wasters now or people yeah. who, um, just who are fetishes who who think they're submissives um those who want to sneak in topping from the bottom which is like on my hard limits yes. <laughs> list. yeah um so i've learned over the years through those experiences how to handle each of those cases and i think in the beginning i was a little bit more i was i was almost too open because i was like a sponge i wanted to soak up every single uh 
experience that I could in, in session. And so because of that, I feel like I gave a little bit more leeway to people, um, how they addressed me or how they shifted the session when I was kind of headed towards another direction. Um, but I think being aware of those situations happening and then uh, finding, figuring out a way to have that not happen in the future was my own problem solving. And yeah. again, that had to do through that had to happen through experiences, and then also just really sitting down and thinking, like, "Wow, that made me feel really weird," <laughs> you know, after the fact. How yeah, did there. that happen? Yeah, how did that happen, and how do I make that better? Not yeah. just for me, because when it's better for me, it'll be better for the submissive, you know. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about because you've brought this up a couple times now, and I don't know if. Like had a fleshed out conversation about this on the pod before, but um, you mentioned the difference between a submissive and a fetishist. Can you mm -hmm. um, describe that a little bit for our listeners? Yes. Um, so there is a difference uh, between a submissive, a fetish, a fetishist, and a bottom. Actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Bottoms are probably the most vanilla out of all those categories because they are there for you to practice on. They're there to experience a little bit of kink, but like not necessarily go home with it. Or if they do go home with it, you know, they are in service to somebody else. They're not in service to you. Mm -hmm. um, a submissive, or let me do fetishist next. Uh, a, a fetishist is a person who unfortunately may think that they're in service, but they actually just get turned on by a specific thing. So it could be a foot fetishist. They are sexually turned on by a foot or anything that has to do with feet or shoes or the attachment to a leg or, or that thing. It's an object. Um, whereas submissives are people who, and there's a variety of it. This is the overall umbrella definition of it. So uh, a submissive is somebody who wants to serve somebody else. And that can have different rules, that can have different expectations, but at the end of the day, they want to please a dominant, somebody higher up than them, somebody who they want to give themselves to uh, responsibly, you know, wholeheartedly, mind, body, soul to. Yeah. Um, and, and I actually consider fetishist clients because a lot of true submissives get offended. By the, <laughs> the word industry. client? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because they're like, I'm not just paying for you to be a client. I want to be your submissive. It's like, okay, but you don't get to tell me that you are my submissive. Totally. I tell you when you are my submissive and when you've earned that, you know? Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people these days think that it's a fast uh, term they can throw around like, they'll like a person that I don't even know that I've never played with who has sent me their introduction already says your slave and yeah like, no no man. you're not <laughs> not even close we haven't even played together <laughs> exactly the fact that you're signing it that way already tells me that you are not that you, know, if if <laughs> you will never be that <laughs> you know because they don't get it and if it, if they would like to go that route they could have signed it under your consideration Yep. Or you're as or you're aspiring submissive. Something that's like, you know, they would love to go that route. Should I have them? Um, but they're not there yet, and they know it because mm -hmm. that's in respect to me and and what I say. Like, 
I, I haven't even had a say and you're already deeming yourself as mine. No. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? <laughs> Let alone like the emails where people are like, I'm looking f- to be a lifetime, you know, house sub or something. It's like, mm. cool. I, we haven't even met each other yet. <laughs> like, and they're just like, okay, so let me know if I can be this for you. And I'm like, what? No, that's like not even close to how it works. Like, I feel like it could be okay if that person was like, this is what I aspire to in the future. How? And but then they pose the question like, right? How could I go about doing this for you? What would you think if if you're even seeking this? Because some people might not even be seeking. I, I, I for actually, sure. I'm not. Yeah, same here. I don't want strangers coming into my home that I've made a sanctuary for myself. No, thank you. Yeah. And also, I am a very diligent at cleaning. I don't think a submissive could do better than me. Same. So I don't want. I don't want people touching my things. <laughs> you know, if it's a play, if it's for the play space, if it's cleaning up after a recession, fine. And. In all honesty, that's how I would probably test them. I would see how they clean up the play space first. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a great way to approach it. Like, like, what are the first steps I can take to towards working, you know, towards my ultimate goal, which is this. I like the transparency of it. I like them saying, like, ultimately, ideally, this is what I'm looking for. But I, right. I'm looking for them to also be open to the fact of all those things, like, that I could possibly not be looking for that at all. That this is completely dependent on, you know, these first steps before we get to that. Like, I'm just looking for a little, like, self-awareness about what that actually means. And Also, yeah. just because... Oh, sorry to cut you off. No, not at all. Um, Also, just because I don't want my house to, you know, per se, to be clean, that doesn't mean I don't want my leather boots to be clean because I love boot worship. There's another aspect in my life that I could um, shift you towards and say, like, all these leather boots need conditioning and scrubbing. Get to it. But if that person isn't willing, doesn't like feet and doesn't want to be in service in that way, that's a fetishist. There you go. You know? Right. <laughs> and a lot of subs don't like aspiring subs don't get that. They think that because they are in service or want to be in service in a, in a way that they are automatically a submissive. It's like, no, because you have that specific thing in mind, that almost expectation. Hmm. And I don't want that. We are not going to match. And also yeah. you're not a submissive. You are looking to <laughs> satisfy that one interest, which is the fetish. Yeah. And not to say a fetishist is a bad thing, like, but it's just the self-awareness again of like, once I get in the room with you, and just like you're saying, I'm kind of realizing that it's not about submitting. It's about, Mm -hmm. you know, say, uh, this happens to be comic, common with foot fetishists, I, I find that they don't Mm -hmm. want any dynamic, any domination type stuff happening whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's just the feet, as you said, it's yeah. just, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever specific type of foot kink they're into. And that's fine, because I do accommodate sessions like that. But that is for sure something I would prefer to know beforehand, whether I'm dealing with a submissive or I'm dealing with a fetishist, that's all. It might not be in their knowledge, too, because because they might be new, or maybe they yeah. were taught this way and always have thought that way that they are a submissive. But yeah, It's good to kind of have the conversation and really tell them like, hey, this is the definition and 
just because I, because you request this of me, I see you as this, and it's not to say that that's any worse or not, but this is what your intention is, thus I'm going to label it correctly. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's definitely not my intention to put them down about it. It's just, I'm going to call it what it is. For sure. <laughs> and, yeah. and what, uh, you know, the people who have come up with the labels in kink have, you know, defined these things as. For sure. Yeah. And I find that that can often be the case when, say, you're negotiating for whatever type of session it might be with a person, with a potential client. A lot of people don't have like they well they clearly don't have the knowledge that a seven year professional dominatrix would have right so it's a matter of like us knowing the right questions to ask to kind of extract the information and be like oh okay so they're not actually what they said at all or they don't actually want half of the stuff that you know you've got to like do that kind of picking out of like to kind of determine what the session will be like or what this relationship might look like. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But you know, what's sad is I've also seen people who have been playing for 20 years who haven't asked those (laughs) questions either. So, I mean, it, it's about the due diligence, right? I feel like I, the time that you put in obviously has a big stance in your, um, status of things but also just like how often have you checked it and how often have you really made the effort to uh know your subs know yourself know what you do know in comparison to what others know you know it's just like a good self check-in and I feel like a lot of good professional doms obviously do this but I have seen few that don't and who just kind of see it as a oh no they'll just serve me because I say so totally okay cool (laughs) yeah that's a great point to bring up that just because a dom has been doing it for years like a pro has Mm. been doing it for years doesn't necessarily mean that they have the you know purest of intentions like there are bad pros out there just yeah just saying you know and it's Um, up to the sub to really do their due diligence in researching that and alternatively i would like to point out some new doms have taken the time to really um, check in with themselves and do their homework and they're awesome out out the gate you know and um totally i i think that you know it's it comes hand in hand with pros and cons on, on both sides yeah yeah for sure do you feel like you've learned something specific um from when you started out to where you are now is there a certain revelation you've had about anything along the way oh man patience is a virtue (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know as much as as much as i am dominant and you know i can demand a lot of things from submissives it's you know i've really learned how to talk to people throughout my years um i i have a I have a short fuse, um, but because I'm aware of that, I try not to let a lot of things that would spark it to affect me sure. over the years. And that has come with lots of playtime and how I've handled that. Um, there are a lot of instances where I feel like I could have spoken to that specific 
submissive better. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, it is still sort of customer service that I have to, I, and I hate that term because it's not a service per se, but there is that customer awareness, let's say, yeah. to, to talk to them in a way that makes them seem like, yes, you're paying for it, but you're also paying, you, you're also receiving this dynamic because that is what you want. And then it's also, if something didn't go right, I, you know, stating it clearly, but in a way that's not going to possibly offend them because you know text is also difficult um if you don't see them in person you know they can project their own feelings into it and then that can misconstrue what you were originally trying to say yeah um but just taking the time to really analyze what happened if it didn't go a certain way uh of mine and really being patient not just with the with the submissive but with myself right um because maybe i was I always try to do the best that I can at every given time throughout the day. I always try to be the best person, but some days I'm better than others. Some days, you know, it just was feeling off. Maybe I really did try, but something in the, was not happening, you know? Um, and so just being patient with myself and, and giving myself the forgiveness that like, yes, I made a mistake. Um, acknowledging it and then learning from it and trying to fix it and not having that happen in the future. And hopefully uh, I impart this onto my submissives too. Should they make a mistake with mm -hmm. me um, that I have the patience and forgiveness, but also that they have the self-awareness to look back on it and reflect on it and be like, oh man, yeah, okay, I did mess up and I really should try to do better if I want to stick with this person. Yeah, totally. I love that. That's a great thing to learn. So we are, we're kind of um, finishing up our episode here, believe it or not. This has been so nice. <laughs> time, really fast. time flies, right? <laughs> Two dominoes chatting, just time flies. Um, but before you go, I would love for folks to, um, you mentioned your YouTube channel, and I know you're on Twitter, and you're also um uh, in another couple places that you want people to follow you or check out, send you money, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Let us know. Yes, please. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I So if you don't know much about me, I think the best way that you could really introduce yourselves is through my YouTube channel. You can look up Domina Mara, M-A-R-A, and I will come up. I have everything from if you're a beginner to king to how-to protocols, uh, like how to approach a mistress, um, and then I've recently launched a couple of more playlists where I interview um, dungeon owners nice. because I'm, I love the variety of different spaces that people have through, all around the world. Like the last two were um, from Greece and um, uh, Denmark. Very so cool. check that out. It's called uh, Modern Dungeons. Um, and obviously when lockdown lifts, I would love to continue doing that, uh, you know, as I travel for, for my work. And then recently I've also released a ASMR um, playlist, which has to do with sounds. Uh, and then I also do my own photography. I also do my own short films. So all the short films that you see on YouTube have been um, storyboarded, conceptualized, and directed by myself. Wow. Um, yeah, I've all the photos that you see on my website were either taken by myself or my camera associate, um, but I direct every shot 
all everything has been conceptualized by me and I edit every single photo myself because I don't like anybody touching it um, and sending it out to the world is my has to be by my final hand cool. so if you like what I do I, I have monthly sets um, donations are always appreciated that will help with future props with future locations um, and I just I'm an artist first and foremost so I would love any um, feedback any donations for that to continue happening amazing you can find all of that through uh, dominamara.com fantastic and on Twitter you are also dominamara um, unfortunately, no, there's a Romanian Domino Mara, so Damn on it. Twitter and, in <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram, how dare she, um, I am, <laughs> I am at Mara Domina. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Um, and I used to, I used to be Domino Mara on Instagram, but I've uh, been disabled and deactivated twice. Oh, so this don't is even get me started. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it sucks because I'm the actual artist. So for me to have produced hundreds of images to have it taken down, like it's one thing if you paid or collaborated with a photographer to put your images up, but it's another thing to have made them yourself totally. and spent the hours of conceptualizing and editing, you know, totally. and it really got to me. So Ugh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel you. I so feel you. Um, yeah. As far as uh, bedpost things go instagram is the bedpost podcast which is another one that's gotten deleted like four or five times at this point oh, my man. domina twitter is at the lady pim one my domina instagram is at pim.lady if you want to email me about anything bedpost related you can do so at the bedpost sex show at gmail.com likewise emailing me about anything dominatrix related you can do so at ladypim at protonmail.com uh patreon for the podcast lots of cool bonus content there including a lot of kinky shit too since we've been talking about kink a lot today that is at patreon.com slash the bedpost show and before i leave i always like to give a shout out to the lovely lady that does all the original music for my podcast her name is stephanie copeland and you can find out the rest of her art and music at stephcopelandmusic.com lastly Domino Mara, such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so happy we could arrange this finally. I will be posting this podcast also on my YouTube channel. I filmed myself speaking and we'll have um, Lady Pim in the background uh, so that you can listen to both of us talk. And um, again, thanks so much for having me. Oh my god, my absolute pleasure and I can't wait to check out the video of our chat. I'd love to see your face while I was talking to you too. So everybody check that out and everybody check out the Bed Post podcast next week when we have another fun and sexy guest here in the studio talking about sex and sexuality. Bye! This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 